Hi, everyone. This is Ryan Lewis, and welcome to another episode of Training Underscore Data, the world's most rich and compelling data science podcast. Today, we have a really special episode. Essentially, if we were trying to form Voltron or Captain Planet, depending on your generation of when you were watching shows, uh, we have our sister lab with us today, which is now forming up uh, a majority of our research here in Labs East. Uh, within Incutel. Uh, specifically, I'm talking about uh, our Cyber Reboot Lab. Uh, if you've listened to this pod before, we've had one episode dealing with the Red Balloon security that was, I believe, uh, episode six. And that was the first time, at least on this show, we've touched upon a topic which is both really timely and important and generating a lot of just really interesting applied research and basic research, which is the intersection of machine learning and cybersecurity. And today, we have our guys from the Cyber Reboot team to not only talk about that topic, but highlight something that was pretty recent inside uh, not only the lab, but the broader firm, which is uh, our participation in Hacktoberfest. So we have a lot to cover, and I'm really excited to have two people from the team uh, with me in the booth today. First, Ryan Ashley. He's our senior software engineer. To avoid any confusion, we will refer to him as Cyber Ryan. I am, what am I? Am I Cosmic Ryan or Space Ryan? Both. That's your choice. I'm not going to tell you how to define yourself. That would be deeply rude and it, inconsiderate. It would. You're, you're, a great, you're a great guest already. Welcome to the show. Yes. Thank you. It's good and, to be here. And also we have John Speed Myers. He's a data scientist and the newest member That's of the right. Cyber Reboot team. Welcome. Yeah, glad to be here. Thank you. All right, so we have a lot to cover. And I know we just got through Hacktoberfest which was really cool. I'm rocking my Hacktoberfest shirt, which I get a lot of compliments on. Uh, but before we get into any of that, since you guys are new to the show, why don't we just give a little bit of overview about Cyber Reboot, your history within IQTEL. Because actually, and if you just check out cyberreboot.org, you guys have a really rich history in, in terms of projects. So just give us a little bit of background. Sure. So Cyber Reboot was started, I believe it was six or seven years ago. Um, almost six. Almost six, okay. It was before I started. I don't know the exact date. I was there. It was a glorious moment. Anyways. Um, so uh, basically our, our goal is to sort of leverage open source to, to improve cybersecurity uh, with sort of the overall goal of making things more complex and more expensive for adversarial actors and making things cheaper and easier for the good guys. Uh, so we try and do that in a variety of ways, but chiefly by working on or creating open source tool sets within that space. You can check us out on GitHub. Yes, GitHub slash Cyber Reboot. And I think one of the things that is really compelling and it's worth calling out at the high level. We'll, we'll touch on some of the things that you guys are working on uh, later in the episode, but it's worth pointing out now from at least a strategy perspective, I think your overall view is, is very unique in terms of the actual problem that you're focused on within the market. And for those of you who are remotely familiar right, with cybersecurity or just those that just read the news, Right, which we can never really escape some story about uh, a data breach or something to that effect. There's a lot of different parts uh, to the problem in terms of how does one secure a network, how does one maintain security over time, and things to that effect. Why don't you guys just highlight a little bit about 
your strategic focus and what specific part of uh, the workflow that you focus on? Sure. So I, I would say that strategically our focus happens in sort of two key areas. Uh, one, again, you know, going back to, to the news, you also can't go uh, an appreciable time period without hearing about, you know, the sky, cyber skills shortage or the skills gap. Uh, and, and as a group, our approach to that has been that we have to embrace automation. And then the other portion of our approach is that we need to leverage, you know, machine learning and AI technologies for cybersecurity as well. Um, I tend to handle more of the automation side of things, just coming from my background as an engineer. That's how I tend to think. Uh, John Speed can speak more to the machine learning aspects of things. Yeah, that's right. And I would also add that another part of the, you could say the kill chain, the cyber kill chain that we focus Good. on. Good, I was just waiting for someone to say I it. I really want to say I, it. I didn't want to be the first but one. We don't, we don't use the MITRE attack framework, though, if you're really into your different frameworks. We have a simpler one. Basically, there's pre-compromise and there's post-compromise. And uh, uh, as a basic general statement, uh, a lot of cybersecurity products focus on pre-compromise, antivirus. How do you prevent your computer from getting compromised in the first place? Uh, there's a basic philosophy that we share at Cyber, at Cyber Reboot that it's better to assume that your computer network has been compromised and to build tools and techniques to either remediate or eject uh, the attacker off the network. Um, and uh, we're not the only one that thinks this way, but uh, it's certainly compared to some of the big cybersecurity vendors, uh, it's a different focus. Absolutely. And it, and it presents uh, a completely different challenge from a both software development perspective as well as just a machine learning research perspective. And we'll, we'll obviously get to that at the end, but you know, as, the, as I said in the opening part of today's show, and, and one of the reasons we wanted to come in and have this recording now is we just completed Hacktoberfest. And so in addition to all the different work you're already doing, you also were the leads for Hacktoberfest. This is something we've done internally inside Inkytel for the past couple of years. Um, at a high level, describe Hacktoberfest uh, more generally and how we as a, as a group kind of came into this and how it's really for the last couple of years really become institutionalized. And thus, I really just look forward to the shirts at this point. Sure. Um, so Hacktoberfest is uh, a broader thing that takes place across the open source community. It started about six years ago, I would say. Uh, primarily, it was driven by, by DigitalOcean and GitHub. Those are sort of the big corporate entities behind it. Um, but they, they encourage it to be very community-driven as well, right? They put out a, a whole media kit. Here's how you set up your own events, uh, how to run them, the sorts of things that you can do. Uh, it started within the labs. This was our fourth year running it, Cyber Reboots. So in prior years, it had been run by our colleague, Charlie Lewis. Uh, he wasn't going to be able to do it this year, but... Shout out to Charlie. Yes. And if he's listening uh, to this podcast, we miss you, Charlie, on this episode. Anyways. Um, he's not listening. <laughs> anyway. Um, he's an enigma. Wrapped inside a conundrum. No. Uh, so where was I? Oh. So he, he started it, um, like I said before, we're heavily involved with the open source community. So we like Hacktoberfest both as an opportunity to get involved with other projects that we wouldn't normally touch, but also as a way to draw people's attention towards the open source work that we're doing. 
You know, and one of the things that we've talked a lot about on this show, some multiple episodes, is our contributions to open source, how important open source development has been over the decades, particularly in the geospatial analytics market. I mean, almost its foundation was started in that domain. Is that the same in the, the cybersecurity world as well, at least perhaps more recently? Or is this maybe something that is new culturally in terms of putting out tools or techniques in a community fashion? Oh, no, I, I wouldn't say it's it's new from the cybersecurity community standpoint. I mean, it's almost foundational. If if you go back and look at uh, the, the cybersecurity community, it's grown up practically side by side with sort of, you know, the free software foundation. I mean, m most of our major tools sort of came from that community as well. Things like, you know, Nmap out there, uh, Cat, like all, all of your basic networking tools uh, come from, from that community that chain so I, I think it's very those communities are heavily linked in my opinion and so bringing it down to the the inqtel level so this is something that, that we've been doing in the labs now for a while as you mentioned four years uh, how has it evolved inside inqtel so when this first got started to where it is today you know just as someone who was involved this this past month it's, it was really you guys did an awesome job queuing up all the different issues. Explain sort of the thinking at the Inqtel level in terms of are we looking for is this just a way to get the firm more engaged? Is it a way to maybe even troubleshoot specific issues or all the above? Well, f I, one of the things that that I think is cool about Hacktoberfest is it kind of ticks off a lot of boxes with, with one set of things. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, we, we put a great deal of effort into it, but I feel like the reward from that effort just vastly outstrips what it requires. So at, at, a, at a small tactical level, yeah, we get, we get eyes on our projects that we wouldn't normally get, and we get expertise we wouldn't normally have access to, which is fantastic. But then from a company perspective, we also get you know, a chance to, to work with, with people that we wouldn't normally interact with on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, which I think is huge. Um, when, I, when I went around kind of talking to the executive team about it, uh, um, a member of our leadership, uh, Steve, actually, said, he, he phrased it in what I thought was a really cool way. He was like, you can, you can think of it as a really strong career development type of thing, right? Because regardless of what you do, within InQtel, having a basic knowledge and an opinion on open source software is, is sort of foundational to what we do. Yeah, yeah and I think one other thing it does exactly relate to that topic is that there are, it introduces open source software and using GitHub um, and writing code in a collaborative way. Our, our documentation, several other things. Um, yeah, don't, don't skimp on documentation. Don't skimp on documentation. I like documentation a lot, uh, personally. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm always super pleased to see how involved sort of the, the non-technical people get. Like Kristen gets crazy competitive, which, I, I mean, I love it. Yeah, producer yeah. Kristen was fired up on this time around. Watch oh, out. Oh, man, she's... Did she win? Did it, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. I don't. I don't want to jump to. I don't want to jump conclusions. I want to leave the audience hanging about who won because I know they're dialed in on it right now. But important question then: 
And this is something I actually think through. There's one thing I've learned from other podcasts that I've listened to. Yeah. You've got to have an ongoing mystery to keep people it coming is. back. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And this could we could turn this into a nine-part, ten-part series if we need to. But TBD on that. And I have wondered this over, over the years, is especially as our participation in this sort of event matures, is how do you guys go about selecting all the different projects or issues, both technical and non-technical, because it's pretty extensive. And for a couple of people, that's a non-trivial lift. I know you said the output far exceeds the input. That's still a fair amount of time and a lot of thought has to go, not just the time of putting out the issues or the challenges, but a lot of thought has to go into what people should even be doing in the first place. So how did you guys go about doing that? Sure. Uh, We actually started back probably early in the summer, I would say the June timeframe, kind of thinking about what we wanted to do, how we were going to run it and everything. And we, we started off sort of doing a couple of things. One, so in prior years, we've done a whole month-long event. Uh, this year, for a variety of reasons, uh, we wanted to make it smaller and more tactical. So we narrowed it down to a week. And, and that creates a, a sort of a set of engineering constraints you basically have to work to, right? It's like, okay, now we need to figure out a set of, you know, focus areas that are things people can make an impact on in that time frame. So I would say that that was the first part of it. Uh, and then from there, we kind of divided it up into sort of three basic category areas, right? There was sort of the broader open source projects out there, more traditional, you know, things that you would think of, uh, stuff like, you know, Babel or requests or what have you. Um, Then sort of open source projects that are widely available that we own. And then things that are open source internally, but that, that we use that aren't really for external consumption. So once you've got those three areas, then you kind of go through and say, oh, you know, here are areas where we could use help or where we think people would be interested in contributing. Uh, And then I I sort of solicited ideas from our contributors, too, because to me, at least, it's kind of important that it should be community driven. Right. I don't want to come in and like, here's what we're doing. and Here are the only things you can work on and that sort of thing that obviates part of the spirit of the thing and and also part of the benefit too which is getting creativity coming in from from different sources and and uh john speed you were you you're new to the team so you came in when a lot of this planning process was was already underway so when you first got exposed to all this what were your thoughts yeah, um, one of the things I noticed right away is that there's actually a lot of software any enterprise, any organization uses day-to-day. And uh, one cool thing about Hacktoberfest is this is a chance for you to tinker with that software, use some part of it. So, for instance, lots of organizations all around the world use Salesforce. Wouldn't it be fun to spend a, a day or two with, with your colleagues, peers, trying to adjust your use of Salesforce in some way, analyze the data differently? create some new feature. So uh, that's something that I noticed that um, a lot of us are living in software organizations, even if we're not producing software. So to think about how you could adjust it uh, via open source software is fun and interesting and gets people excited. I think Sean and our DevOps team just both simultaneously smiled and cried <laughs> when you said that. But it, it, it is important, right? Because a lot of times it's, for any for anyone right who has this experience, it's very easy to get 
into a pattern and then not actually exercise some of those creative thoughts you have. So it's it's certainly a conduit to do it. And it was really cool to actually see more m- more people than I thought uh, actually jump in. Yeah. Well, and the other thing with, with some of those internal things too, it's it's not just the tool sets. Like when I look at Salesforce, I think we have this this treasure trove of of internal data that's of significance to us and a huge pool of machine learning expertise. And it seems like it would be a waste not to put those two things together at some level. Maybe that's just my crazy thinking. I, I don't know. but Yeah, you know, you're just, it's just a crazy thought. But thanks. Thanks for sharing. No, it, it, it is something, and, it, and it's funny, you know, every time, and I think most people worked in, in an office right experience, right, have this, uh, I've had this moment where you're sitting going, wouldn't it be great if we just had a moment for people to get together and actually work on a couple of things, if we could only find some time to incentivize it. So a- absolutely. And, you know, to set the stage for the how it's actually scored, how did people participate? So in our case, it was teams. But how describe a little bit about the structure and then essentially how many people got involved and, and all that sort of stuff. Sure. Uh, so in, in terms of overall involvement, we had about 30 people participating internally, which doesn't sound like a lot, but you got to figure that that's like 20% of the company that, you know, I basically had for a week. Um, and what we do is we use an open source, of course, uh, modified CTF scoreboard system, which... Let's capture the flag. Yes, Thank capture you. the flag. Sorry. Uh, Should have clarified that. Uh, in practice, it looks like a big map of the world. Like, it does look cool. You, yeah. if, if, you, if any of you ever played the computer game DEFCON, it looks like that map. Or if uh, you've ever played Risk, kind of like that. Yeah, or if you've watched Matthew Broderick in War yes, Games, War when, games. The, when the Whopper's going. Yeah, yeah. yes, exactly. Uh, and so there, there are flags that are placed there. And these flags are sort of different things that you can do. So... Um, Again, we only had a week this year, so we used, I think at the end it was about 70 to 75 flags. I wanted about five of those to be sort of larger group challenges or or sort of more significant challenges, right? Something that you can't just bang out in a couple of hours. Uh, And that set the top tier of my scoring kind of thing. Then I wanted another tranche that was smaller challenges, but again, not something that you can do, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes, something you have to, again, dedicate a little bit of time to. And then sort of the the bottom end, we had a bunch of trivia questions around uh, mostly open source trivia. Uh, there was a lot of like infosec type of trivia um, some sort of more internal company stuff. So. I apologize to Incutel for spending that entire week trying to get flags and not doing work. I'm sorry. <laughs> but those flags matter. <laughs> Shh. If anybody asks, that was team building and personal <laughs> development. You weren't non-productive. You were differently productive. He doesn't speak for us, okay? Yeah. Why don't you sit the next minute out here, <laughs> Jazz? Sorry. I'm sorry. Um, so... Granted, we had a short amount of time, but who won? How close was it? So the winners were... I remember team. angst. I remember like some scoring angst. Oh, my this. team converged I, oh, yeah. upon him. Yeah, I was going to say, if, if you mean when Team 7 showed up in my corner with torches and pitchforks, 
That's yes, that is a thing that happened. We were sorry, losers. At any rate, uh, team two won. I apologize. I do not remember who was on team two off the top of my head. That seems like the sort of thing I should have written down before I came here. Uh, but in all, we had how many teams? Seven teams total. That's awesome. Yeah. Seven teams, four to five people per team. And then the the winner got dinner with the two of you guys? Or what was what was the prize? I never heard the prize. Uh, so the the prize was actually some gift cards which I actually still need to procure and distribute. They're that asp- is on me. <laughs> They're aspirational. Uh, well, you got to understand, October was a very busy month for Cyber Reboot. It was. It was. So I so, got sidetracked. But uh, So all joking aside, you know, as you mentioned, this is a big part, of our, a big part of our firm working on it, even if it's a week or in the past, been a month. And, you know, I've, as someone who's been at the firm for, for over six years, you know, I've seen the benefits of this from different software ideas to people just kind of coming together. So both operational as well as cultural. Um, what are some lessons learned you have? Because you guys have kind of optimized this a little bit more every year. Yeah, um, I think an important thing is, is you want to have a sort of a discrete set of ideas for things you want people to work on. Uh, one of the reasons that, that we like doing it with teams because we've tried it in the past where we had people just play individually and there are two aspects to that. One, it kind of becomes unmanageable from sort of my standpoint where I'm trying to run things because instead of having to interact with you know seven teams, I've got to interact with 30 different people. Uh, so that, and and the other thing is you want to structure it in a way that those teams are forced to force down bad, but encouraged to work together. Right. So, uh, and, and part of what we do too, is when we set up those teams, you know, I, I jokingly said that one year I want to have a Hacktoberfest where the game is uh, George and Charlie versus the rest of the firm, because I think that would be hilarious, but, but <laughs> See, if you it would be com- it would be competitive. It would be competitive. Yeah. Um, they might win. <laughs> and for those, like a uh, for those, I think one of the things that at least I, I recall some of your conversations about as well is the right balance between uh, v- very technically complex flags or issues um, and less complex. And I, and I think that's always a, a balancing act. I mean, obviously, we're uh, we have a lot of different technical projects underway in a lot of different application areas. So there's no shortage of issues for us to find. I think organizations that are planning to do something like this or or experimenting in in other types of of hacking events, it's good to probably think through what the right balance is. I think you guys have struck a fine line, uh, but I would imagine it could either become either too easy or really frustrating to participants if that uh, balance were, were, were off, so to speak. Yeah, a key aspect, I think, of making this an approachable, fun uh, endeavor for everyone is to make it less intimidating. Uh, Because at first glance, you can think it's all about being a software engineer and writing code. Uh, And that's certainly an element of what open source software is all about in Hacktoberfest. But uh, I think there's a a larger emphasis, too, on um, actually just discovering new tools. 
uh, um, on playing around and experimentation that I think takes you out of the boundaries of typical software engineering and into a different sort of activity. And so some of the things we do it to make uh, Hacktoberfest uh, less intimidating is things like tutorial sessions before that week where you explain uh, how, do you, how do you actually use a version control system, tutorial system. Uh, we can, we're still experimenting with what exact tutorials to do, but that general idea of actually providing some knowledge and making sure that everyone realizes that it can be a learning experience for you. You don't have to come with it with a bunch of skills already. Um, there's a certain, there's a way to lower the barriers. No, that's awesome. Yeah, and, and I found from a practical standpoint that as I went around and talked to people, I, I almost went out of my way to overemphasize the non-technical aspects of it too. And again, for, for multiple reasons. One, I, I wanted to make sure that everybody knew that you're welcome to come in regardless of your, your level of technical skill or what your skill set is. But also, in some ways, sort of code technical expertise from an open source project standpoint is, is almost the easier thing to get. Um, you know, on some of my projects, I've had an issue sitting open for, for over a year now trying to get somebody to help me write a just a basic getting started guide from, from the perspective of somebody who doesn't know what they're doing because writing it from my perspective would be terrible. Um, so, so sort of emphasizing things like that where people who don't necessarily have deep technical skills but who want to get involved can I, by overemphasizing that you sort of help tilt that balance a little bit which i think is useful and you guys uh at the launch of the event you you wrote a blog post on this which we can we can reference and we'll put in the the description of, of this episode is there any other content that you put out on this as well not yet. We plan to do sort of a, a wrap-up blog post here with some statistics about contributions and how things happened. Excellent. Not so, to do this in future. So we'll make sure to put that out in the description as well. And you know, at a higher level, you know, I think one of the things that really makes you guys as a team able to put together sort of a, a compelling event and think through uh, in, in very detailed fashion about what's appropriate, what isn't, is that at a broader level, you're thinking about on a daily basis, the broader trends in the market, right? And these are, you're using this knowledge really to power your, your projects that you're putting together or the things you're thinking about doing in the future, you know, just as a, as a teaser, right, to future episodes. Um, what are some of the things that you guys are thinking about more broadly in the market and how is that perhaps influencing some of the projects that you're working on or planning to execute uh, in the next year here? Yeah, well, um, no surprise for um, perhaps Ryan or Space Ryan or Thanks. Cyber Ryan, but uh, we've been working on how do you create labeled data sets for cybersecurity, especially for... for My favorite topic, yep. labeled data labeled sets. Labeled data sets. It's bad. Uh, if you want to do supervised machine learning, you have to provide supervision, and that means giving labels to a data set. And uh, um, uh, this problem for network traffic is a huge issue. Uh, there are other researchers that have been working to create labeled data sets for network traffic. You can imagine, for instance, having... Uh, uh, a normal operating computer network uh, having non-malicious traffic and then you inject uh, an attack some way and then you create a data set where you can now split. Um, but uh, 
there are too few of these data sets, and it turns out that machine learning models um, uh, trained to do things like intrusion detection um, are pretty, pretty fragile. Um, and so uh, part, of a, uh, part of what we're working on is trying to build a larger corpus of labeled data sets of network traffic. And how we're doing this, we, I'll mention in a project a little later, but uh, we're trying to figure out ways to actually uh, get submissions from uh, other persons and organizations, which has historically been a big sticky issue with security and privacy. So that's something that we've been thinking about. Well, and since we're on it, and it's arguably my favorite topic, and then the name of this podcast, Training Data, just, let's underscore. Just, let's under, thank you. Uh, actually, that underscore does matter during the search. Uh, let's just jump in right now. But describe that project in a little bit. I've, uh, this is obviously another whole episode that we would have uh, on both projects, but just describe uh, what that project is a little bit, some of our expectations for the year, or at least things we're thinking about. Yeah, we call it Packet Cafe. Uh, Charlie Lewis, who isn't here with us, is really the lead of the project. Um, the idea is actually to build... Um, a tool that allows Cyber Reboot to collect other people's network traffic submitted by their own choice. Um, and in response, they get um, an analytical uh, report uh, about their network traffic. Um, and so uh, we're still building this, but the idea is uh, network traffic is a complicated beast. And um, people who are either need to understand their own organization's network traffic or do security analysis for their own organization need help to, to to sift through the data and better understand it. Um, and we're trying to provide analytical tools for free that you can go use. You can download what's called a packet capture or a PCAP file and uh, get this report. And in return, uh, you've provided um, an anonymized uh, version of your data. Um, it, it's, it's worth noting that from a mechanical perspective, the way we intend for this to work is you, you will get the report, and then you can opt in to giving us your data. We're not forcing right. that. We don't right, want right. to sound like we're going to come steal your data off your computer. You're right. This is this is part of an open process. It would be an, a website that you go to uh, just on the web, and uh, you, know, you could read the terms and conditions. Um, so, uh, so we're still figuring out. And the, the other key aspect here is that we want to elicit information from the person submitting it so that we can build some of the labels. It's not going to be done at the packet level. Not every packet won't be good, bad, or something like that. But this is a small office network. Oh, I have three computers and a printer on this. We're still working out exactly what that looks like. Um, Just this, for nothing else to help provide some structure to the yep. data set, just give you some idea of what you're even looking at. It's critical. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So right now you can find lots of PCAPs or packet captures out on the internet, but it's things like a huge capture the flag competition, um, and uh, it's almost all malicious traffic. Uh, and so it, it's not that useful. Um, so we're trying to figure out what, in substance, what does normal traffic look like? Um, yeah, I was going to say that's that to me is is kind of one of the more interesting questions out there. Um, attack traffic is is easy to find or generate, but to, to build a good data set to do good analysis on, you need sort of a realistic balance of what that data looks like, right? So realistically is 5% of your traffic malicious is, you know, 7, 10, we, we don't know. And trying to figure out that balance is, I think, one of the, the tougher things that we're going to have to do. So the development of a data set that is valid, that it even has a, a, a structured and agreed upon taxonomy. It's a major undertaking in which we could build 
uh, a lot of work, both internally as a team as well as collaboratively, uh, collaboratively in open source and across other partners. And yet, that's that's amazingly as big as effort as that is. That's still just one part of the of the challenge. Going back to the trends question, is kind of tied to that. What are some other trends that we're seeing, and then perhaps what are we doing about that those trends? Sure. So the the other major trend that that we're concerned with, uh, actually two parts to it, uh, software defined networking. And, and automation and specifically combining those two sorts of things. Uh, so if you don't know what software-defined networking is, roughly speaking, the idea is that you separate the control plane, that is to say the part of the network that tells everything on the network what to do from the data plane, which is the portion that transits your pictures of cats or what have you. Satellite, uh, satellite pictures. Come on, come on, Cyber Ryan, you know better. Uh, Anyway. I do. I sit where I can see your monitor. Do you really <laughs> want to go to that discussion with me? I do love cats. All right. <laughs> um, so the kind of the cool thing about software-defined networking is there are a, a set of, of agents or APIs that are exposed by it. And, and now your, your network is essentially a software artifact. It can be controlled and, and modified in the same way that you do other software artifacts, which I feel like presents a really, really cool proposition from a defender standpoint. Uh, so this is going back to what, what John Speed was saying earlier about if you assume that your network already has malicious actors inside of it and you're thinking not in terms of of defense, but in terms of sort of intrusion tolerance, this gives you a really fun space to play in, right? Because your network can now start to know about what's going on on itself and then react and respond to that. And so to that end, we're also undertaking another project where we're taking a lot of the ideas that are uh, generally known as, you know, cyber deception, or some people use the phrase active countermeasures, and, and we're basically trying to integrate some of those techniques into an SDN and see what that looks like and, and how that plays out. Um, so we have sort of a whole interesting set of theses around that. But one of our major questions is, you know, A, can we do this? Can we build something that will, will fool an attacker? But B, can we do so without causing undue um, operational pain to your to your legitimate end users. And what do you call that project? Rhetorically, yes. Oh yes. Uh, so we're calling that project Volos. Man, first time on a pod, just doing great. Uh, the question then is, and is one predicated on the other? So because this is something we've often debated a lot, particularly in the in the geospatial world, which is it's hard to build out. Uh, any sort of model without a decent amount of data, or at least have some enough a substantial amount of data to have some sort of findings. Um, in this case, one sort of feeds the other, right? To a certain extent. I mean, I, I don't think either one is predicated on the other. They both grow out of pre-existing work we did on a previous project called Poseidon. Uh, the way that that particular project works, and that's all open source, you can go... You, you can actually run apt install Poseidon right now, and it'll just install itself for you, which... Uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's 
well, as a software developer, to, when you get to the point in your life where you can just type in the command line app to install a thing that you helped work on, that is, it's it's a, it's a good feeling. It's a milestone. It is. Um, so, but what that does is it integrates with an SDN controller and it mirrors a particular port. So it'll say, okay, give me essentially this Ethernet jack on this switch, all the traffic flowing through it dump that PCAP out to this particular location, and then it invokes a set of machine learning tools that we've also written and curate that do an analysis on it. And it's primarily looking on on two axes. One, it wants to figure out what is the broad category of device this is, i.e., is this a a developer workstation, an admin workstation, uh, is it a web server, something of that nature. And then on the other axis, is this behaving normally for that class of device or not? And I, I, I think that you guys need to be coming back and we should be doing a multi-part series on both starting with Poseidon and then how that work is now influencing uh, both Packet Cafe as well as um, Folos. Um, so I think you heard it here first. More episodes to come. Sounds good. Yeah, glad to be here. Thank you. You guys really appreciate your time. And for those of you who are interested in learning more, you can find some of this information on Cyber Reboot's blog, and you can always feel free to reach out at cyberreboot.org slash contact. Um, so don't hesitate there, or obviously, as some people have done in the past, uh, always feel free to reach out direct uh, through any of our social media channels. Uh, but looking forward to next year's Hacktoberfest and the future episodes. Keep up the great work, and everyone, thanks for listening in. Take care. Space Club Rule 13. Only meet at round tables. Thank you for listening to today's show. If you'd like to hear more episodes or be kept up to date when we release a new show, please make sure to subscribe to Training Data wherever you get your podcast. If you'd like to find out more information and links to the different sites and data sets and presentations and all the different content that we discussed today, You can find more at cosmicworks.org, that's cosmic with a Q, spacenet.ai, and our blog, the downlink, that's also with a Q on Medium. As you're seeing here, we like the letter Q. Music was provided by the DMV Zone, and for those of you not in the DMV, that is the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, by Redline Addiction. Uh, A big thank you to Kristen Zender and Carrie Sassine from Inkytel's Marketing Group. Also, a shout-out to Hardcast Media uh, for serving as our studio. Thanks for listening, and take care.